Good morning to you, New Life. Uh, if you happen to be uh, new or visiting with us this morning, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. And I uh, just wanted to share something as we start off our time this morning that I think is pretty cool. Hopefully it's an encouragement to you as well. As, as a result of our sort of pseudo-exile due to this coronavirus, uh, we here at New Life, like most churches, we have ramped up our online engagement and our live streaming services. We're now live streaming on three platforms. Uh, you're watching on, on one of them, either our website, our Facebook Live, or our YouTube channel. And, and get this, because so many of you are, are sharing our live services, are hosting watch parties, all of those types of things, we are now projecting that we are reaching more people now every week when we can't meet together than when we could when we were gathering together physically in this building, which is just, it's just amazing. I say all that to say, how amazing is our God, right? That is, this virus wrecks the world, shuts down pretty much churches all over the world, and now we have a larger platform than ever before so that more people could hear, maybe than at any point before in human history, that there is a God in heaven who loves them, who sent Jesus on a rescue mission for them to give them hope, life, and freedom. And so I say all of that just uh, as a way to encourage you, really, keep, keep sharing, keep hosting those watch parties. People are engaging with us, but more importantly, they're engaging with God, and that is exciting. And so, church, I just want you to know that our mission in this exile, in this quarantine, our mission to help people find and follow Jesus is advancing forward. There's so many of you, just this last week, heard a story of so many of you who are packing meals, delivering meals, cooking meals uh, with our partners for those in need right here in the city of Asheville. You're partnering with the Steadfast House, with the Veterans Restoration Quarters, with Woodfin Elementary School. And so our mission uh, goes forward, regardless of whether we're in quarantine or not. And so I just want to thank you guys for being obedient to follow Christ, even in these really challenging times that we're living in. Well, this morning, we're going to be jumping right back into our brand new message series called Hope in Exile that we started last week as we're studying through the first letter of Peter. Now, last week, we covered a whole bunch of background stuff that really sets up the whole series. And so let me just encourage you, if you missed last week, go, go back Grab that message so that the whole series will uh, make more sense for you. Well, if you're at home and you have a Bible, uh, either in print or maybe on, on a device, your phone, or if you're using your phone to stream the service, maybe you have a different iPad or something like that, let me encourage you to go to the first uh, letter of Peter, First Peter in your New Testament. That's where we're going to kind of camp out together this morning. And as you find your place in First Peter 1, let me just ask you one question. What is, what is your greatest hope in life? Maybe just take 10 seconds and kind of digest that. One question. What is your greatest hope in life? Like, like what, what's, what's the one thing that, that encourages you? What's that one thing that, that gets you out of bed in the morning? I'm, I'm just going to guess for those of you who are tuned in who are young and single and ready to mingle, I, I'm, I'm going to guess that for you, your greatest hope or one of your greatest hopes is finding Mr. Right or Mrs. Right one day. 
Uh, I'm going to guess for others of you, when you asked yourself that question, that for you it's maybe finding the, the right job, just that, that perfect job, or maybe for you it's, it's making a certain amount of money. Or maybe for those of you who are watching who are parents, maybe your greatest hope is a, is a desire to see your kids be successful in life. Or maybe if you're like me, you're a sports fan. Maybe you're from this, from this area, and so maybe your, one of your greatest hopes is to see the Carolina Panthers finally win a Super Bowl. Well, I just got to tell you, if you want to do that, you got to stop drafting quarterbacks out of Auburn. All right, so that's, that's number one. You probably need to draft some more Bama boys. That's going to increase your odds probably of getting to the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl. Um, but listen, we, we all have different hopes and dreams. Hope is what really it's, really, it's really what fuels life for us. We all need hope like we need the air that we're breathing in this very moment. But here's, here's the problem for most of us. For most of us, the problem is we place our hope in uncertain things. See, for many of us, hope is sort of this idea like, man, I, I hope that I can find the right person to marry one day. Or I, I hope that I can find that, that perfect job one day. Or, or man, we, we hope that our kids don't turn out to be little monsters. Or, man, man we, we hope that we can get into our dream college. We hope that we get a raise someday. Maybe it will happen. Maybe it won't. And so for us, hope is just kind of like this idea of a coin flip, 50-50. It may happen. It may not happen. The problem is that all of these hopes are uncertain, Right? There are things that could happen. There are things that maybe will happen. There are things that perhaps will never happen. And the reality is, even if we obtain some of these things, there's no guarantee that we can keep them. Right? People that we love die. The dream job that you finally got, it, it goes away. Right? You get, you get furloughed when a, when a virus sweeps across the world. Relationships with Mr. Right or Mrs. Wrong, they go sour. They go sideways. They fall apart. And if our hope is in any of those things, if our hope is in those uncertain things, we all will eventually, over time, lose our hope. But, but what if, what if there were another kind of hope? What if there were a kind of hope that were completely certain? What if there were a kind of hope that could never be taken away no matter what? type of hope that's not tied to circumstances in your life. It's not tied to a job. It's not tied to money or people who can fail you. If that type of hope exists, would you be, would you be interested in that kind of hope? That's exactly the kind of hope that the Apostle Peter is just going to lay before us in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. Now remember, Peter is writing to Christians who are in exile, Christians who are enduring massive persecution and suffering because of their faith in Jesus. They're being persecuted. They're being exiled in a real way by family, friends, by, by neighbors, because they would, not, they would not worship the gods of the day in Rome. And so they're under massive persecution and they're suffering. And that's the context Peter is writing into, that he's speaking into in the letter this morning. And so I hope, you, hope you're there. First Peter chapter 1, we're going to start where we left off last week in verse 3. So First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to pause there just for a second because I don't want you to miss this. Peter starts off his letter, maybe surprisingly to these suffering believers, with worship. <laughs> he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's praising God and he's pointing these suffering Christians to something greater than their current pain that they're experiencing. He's, he's redirecting, in a way, their heart's affections to God and his goodness. Now, really quickly, I want to show you something really cool in the book of Psalms. You guys know I love, I love King David. We did a, a whole series last year on the life of King David. But I want you to, I want you to listen to King David in the, in the early Psalms, and then we're going to contrast that to his heart and what he writes in the, in the later Psalms. The shift is just amazing. So let's, let's start with David in the early Psalms. This is what he says. This will be on the screens for you. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O oh Lord, how long? Lord, my God, I take refuge in, in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Or they will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Can you hear the, the suffering in his voice as he pens these words? Why, O oh Lord, do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? How long, O oh Lord? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now I want you to listen to the, the shift that takes place in David's heart later on in the book of Psalms. David suffered, but David also found his hope. Watch this. He says this, praise be to the Lord, my rock. You see the shift already. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I will praise the Lord all of my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. How good is it to sing praises to our God? How, how pleasant and fitting to praise him. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the highest above. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all the ocean depths. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the saints. And from that, I just want to, I want to give you the first truth, our first truth this morning. Number one is this. Believer, we must frame our suffering with worship. We must frame or, or surround our, our pain, our suffering with, with worship. Why? 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 Why was that so true in, in Peter's life? Why is he commanding these early Christians to do this as they suffer? Why is this true in King David's life? It's because worship is a balm to a weary soul. Listen, are you, are you suffering out there today? Are you suffering? Are you in pain? Peter would say, listen, friend, be, begin to shift your mind from pain to worship and watch what happens. It's, it's beautiful. And the truth is, it, it really does work for those of us who, who know and follow Jesus or indwelled by his spirit. He's saying, believer, in a real sense, the way to walk through suffering is to worship your way through suffering. Peter is pointing us to that reality right out of the gate as he kicks off this letter to these early believers who are suffering greatly 
because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Look back at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off with worship, and then he, he shifts. According to his great mercy, he has, listen to this, he has caused us, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, here's what Peter is saying to these believers who are walking in exile. He's saying, listen, your hope is anchored in a past event. He's saying, he's saying, God has caused you to be born again into a living hope through what? Where's your hope rooted, Christian? It says, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So our hope, Peter is saying, is rooted in a historical event. Right, so we're, we're not Christians because our, our grandparents are Christians or because we believe myths and fables. Our faith is rooted in a historical event that is verified by hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter being one of them. And so Peter is saying, listen, before you were alive, believer, Christian, before you could do anything to earn it, God caused you, right? God God is the causal agent of your salvation. God caused you to be born again. And your salvation is anchored in a past historical event that you had absolutely nothing at all to do with. Our salvation, Peter is saying, is 100% God and 0% you, and that is why we can hope. And that is precisely why we can hope. Uh, Jonathan Edwards once said that you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? You say, Chris, well, that doesn't sound like good news to me, man. That doesn't sound very encouraging to me. No, listen to me. This is the best news in the world. It's the best news in the world. The fact that, the fact that my new birth, the fact that my salvation, the fact that my eternity is rooted in what God did for me through the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus, and it's not based on my ability, it's not based on, on, on my ability to earn my salvation, it's not based on my ability to keep my salvation, that is the best news I've ever heard. Because here's, listen, here, here's what I know about me. This is what I know to be true about me. If, if I could lose my salvation, I would a million times over. If my salvation, if my new birth into the kingdom of God is, listen, is in any way tied to my ability to not screw it up, if that is in any way tied to my ability to perform well enough to earn God's favor and his love, listen, I'm just telling you, I'm dead in the water. I have, I have no hope. And Peter, Peter knows that, and he's saying to these, these Christians in exile, your living hope is not rooted in your performance. Your living hope is not rooted in your ability to get to God. Your living hope is anchored in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And you didn't produce that in yourself. You didn't earn it. Jesus did. And that's why you can have hope, because it doesn't depend on you. And it can't be taken away all of it was accomplished for you by Jesus. But that's not all. Look at verse four. God has caused us to be born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. To what? Look at verse four. 
to an inheritance that is, that is three things. Watch this. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter moves from the past now to the future. Peter goes, look, this, this living hope, yes, it's, it's anchored in the past. Jesus did it all for you. Your hope, Christian, is just as certain as the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But this salvation, this living hope, is also secured for you in the future. Peter goes, look, you, you have an inheritance that is coming that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading. It is actually kept by God for you, secured for you in heaven, in heaven. Now, I think all of us are, maybe, maybe not you, maybe you're not as weird as me, but I think all of us kind of dream of maybe uh, getting a, a, a random letter in the mail one time, some, someday from like a, a rich uh, lost uncle or something like that, right? Man, I, I just, I love having this thought of like, you just go out there and you open the mail one day and you open it up and it's like, hey, Chris, you don't, you don't know me, but I'm your great uncle's cousin's nephew and you're my only living relative and so I'm leaving you my $10 billion estate. Like that, that would be quite the inheritance. As nice, as incredible as that would be to get, listen, no matter how large, no matter how grand an earthly inheritance is, it will all eventually fade. It will all eventually fade. It can all be taken away in, a, in an instant, as we've seen now, right, with a, a virus you know, traveling the world and stock markets crashing and people talking about economic depression. It can all be taken away. And at best, at best, we leave it behind when we die for someone else to enjoy. You and I will eventually lose any inheritance no matter how extravagant it is, no matter how massive it is, one day it will slip through your fingers. Now let me ask you a question. How, how, do, how do you get an inheritance? Uh, not to be morbid here, but how, how, how does somebody get an inheritance? Some, somebody that you know or somebody that you're related to, whether it's a, a parent or a grandparent, somebody has to die, right? So typically the way it works is somebody dies, they secure an inheritance for you through a legal document called a will. And Peter is saying, listen, that, that is exactly what Jesus has done for you. He died, but he, unlike your relatives, he rose again, and now you have an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance waiting for you. It's being kept for you by your Father in heaven. And unlike every other inheritance in this world, this one will never fade and it can never, ever be taken away from you. See, the thing is, when we, when we as human beings, when we suffer in this life, it can begin to feel like everything good is being stripped away from us, right? And that's why I think a lot of us begin to, begin to lose hope or a lot of us begin to sink into depression or anxiety. And Peter is saying, no, 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 no. Listen, believer, the best stuff, the, the best stuff for you, your inheritance can never be taken away because your inheritance is secured for you in heaven. Not only that, but God is guarding you for this inheritance to be re revealed at the last time. Now, this word that Peter uses in the Greek, this, this word for uh, God is, is guarding you, it's like this idea of, 
a group of elite soldiers escorting someone through hostile enemy territory to safety. That's kind of the idea that Peter is, is giving us here. So just, just imagine with me for a moment. Let's, let's say you're on a flight, right? You get that letter from your uncle. You inherit his $10 billion estate. And so you buy a vacation villa in Spain or Italy or, or some glorious place like that in Europe on, on the coast. And let's say you're, you're flying to your, your villa thanks to your, your inheritance from your uncle. And let's say the plane begins to have some mechanical issues. And the pilot comes on. He's like, man, we're, we're going to have to do an emergency landing. And so everybody brace for impact. And so you land in this. It's dark and it's scary outside. And you land and you get out. Everybody survives. It's all good. You think. And then you realize all of a sudden you've landed in ISIS-controlled territory in Syria. And you see ISIS, that iconic black flag waving in the wind, huge army of people coming over. And you know, as an American, the only thing that awaits for you is suffering and death. The only thing that awaits for you is suffering and death. And you're praying, and maybe you're, you're crying, and they're getting closer and closer, and they're, they're now just maybe 100 yards away. And right at the last minute, a Black Hawk swoops in, and a, a Navy SEAL team drops down. They wipe out the bad guys. They rescue you, and they escort you to the U.S. Embassy. Where you're safe. Now, you can tell what kind of movies I've been watching during the quarantine, right? But just imagine, imagine if, if that was you, how you would feel. You go from certain death to now you got the baddest dudes on the planet forming a human shield, man. They got their night goggles on, their machine guns, and they're just walking you through enemy territory right to safety, right? Imagine the feeling that you have. Peter goes, yeah, that's exactly what God is doing for you. Listen, he's going, he's going, listen, Christian, I know you're suffering. I know you're in pain. I know you're being persecuted. I know how hard you have it. I'm aware of your tears and your losses. But Peter goes, know this suffering Christian. God is guarding you through this land of exile and suffering and you will taste your inheritance one day because God will bring you all the way home. Friend, listen, that is, that is a living hope. That is, that is a hope that can never be taken away. In the 1970s, in uh, communist Romania, there was, there was a pastor named Joseph Tsan who was repeatedly arrested and interrogated and tortured. And I think one time he was in captivity for like six months. He later got out and wrote a book. So they would torture him and interrogate him 10 hours a day. And all he had to do was recant his faith in Jesus and promise to stop preaching the gospel. And they, were, they would let him go. And finally, one day after uh, more interrogation, after more torture, uh, an officer stood over him and pulled out his pistol and put his pistol to this pastor's head. And he said, I want you to know I'm gonna kill you today. Today's the day I'm gonna kill you. And Pastor Joseph looked up at him and smiled, and I, want, I just want to read from his book his response to his captor and his tormentor. This is his response when his life was about to be taken away for his faith in Jesus. He said this to the officer, now here is how it works, sir. You know that my sermons are on tape all over the country. When you shoot me or crush me, whichever way you choose, you only sprinkle my sermons with my blood. 
everybody who has a tape of one of my sermons will pick it up and say, I had better listen again. This man died for what he preached. Sir, my sermons will speak 10 times louder after you kill me and because you kill me. In fact, I will conquer this country for God because you killed me. Your supreme weapon is killing and my supreme weapon is dying. Don't you understand that you can't threaten me with glory? Go on and do it. And immediately after that, they let him go because, because they realized they had no power over him. His hope was grounded, was anchored, was tethered to, was secured in something far greater than anything this life has to offer. That's real hope, and that is the kind of hope that you and I need today. That's the kind of hope that our world desperately needs today. And so this living hope, Peter says, is, is both anchored in the past, and it's also guarded for you in the future with this inheritance that's coming for you, but maybe you're asking as you're watching this right now, maybe you're asking, well, what about right now? Chris, that, that's great that, that, that my hope is, is anchored in the past to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's great that my hope is secured in the future because I have a heavenly inheritance. That's great, but I'm, Chris, I'm suffering right now, man. Like, I, I lost my job. I don't know how I'm gonna pay my rent this week. How am I supposed to feed my kids when I, when I can't work? How am I supposed to walk this path of living hope and life and joy when somebody that I love just, just died? So maybe you're out there and you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, well, that's great, man, but what about the present? Because sometimes when you're suffering, hope only rooted in the past and the future feels too flimsy to carry the weight of our present pain. And if that's you, Peter, Peter's got you. He's got you this morning. I want you, to, I want you to listen to this. Watch this, verse six. He says, in this, he's talking about our, our suffering and our salvation, even in the midst of our suffering. In this, you rejoice. <laughs> you rejoice, though now, so now we're talking about the present, though now, right now, today, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved. And this, this is a, a significant word in the Greek. You've been grieved. It's this depth of loss and pain. While necessary, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that, listen to this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, have, though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and there's that word again, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter is making this astonishing connection between our suffering and our joy. Now this, this feels really foolish, it seems insane. Are you telling me that suffering and joy can actually be mingled together, that God interweaves these things in our lives for our good? That is precisely what the apostle Peter is saying. Peter is saying, because your hope is living, even in grief, even in suffering, even in exile, rejoice. You can rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. Have you, listen, have you ever been so happy? Have you ever been so joy-filled that you couldn't even come up with the words to express your feelings? 
Now, I usually feel that way when I see a filet mignon that's perfectly grilled with a side of roasted asparagus. I, I want to come up with the words to express my joy, but usually tears just begin to flow down my, my cheeks. You, you know, like you know what I'm, what I'm talking about, right? I, just last weekend, uh, right, right outside on our front lawn, I had the privilege of uh, performing a, a wedding ceremony, right? And, and I got to watch the groom as he watched his bride walk down the aisle, man. There's just, there's no, there's, there's no expressing that moment of pure, unadulterated joy. There's no words for it. Maybe for you, if you're a parent, you remember that day when your child was born. And for the very first time, you held that little human being in your arms and you stared down into those tiny little eyeballs, right? Inexpress- there are no words, they're just tears. Inexpressible joy. Peter's saying, yeah, listen, that is yours, Christian, right now, in the present, even in your suffering. It can be experienced right now, even in your pain. And as crazy as that sounds, Christians, don't you know that to be true? Believers, followers of Christ, has not that been your experience as you've walked with the Lord? Haven't most of us experienced deep sorrow with, at the same time, of grief and suffering and pain? Also, we experience this unexplainable sense of joy and hope at the same time. Isn't that absolutely incredible? I think I've I've told you guys this this story before, but I don't think I've told you the last part of this story. So, about uh, three years ago, uh, my my wife and I had just come over to, to New Life. So, we just started here at New Life, and a few months in, we found out uh, quite shockingly that we were expecting our, our fourth child, right? And so we, it was a pr- surprise to us, but we were elated, man. We were excited. Uh, Cheryl had gone and got her first ultrasound. Everything looked good. And so for the second ultrasound, we packed up the whole family and the kids were super excited to see the, the heartbeat of their little brother or sister. And we get in there and they're, they're kind of doing the sonogram thing and we can tell something's not, something's not quite right, right? She's really quiet. She's not saying anything. And uh, finally, she calls the doctor in there, and she looks around some more. And finally, the doctor looks at us and says, listen, I'm, I'm so sorry, but there's no heartbeat. And immediately, my wife is crying on the table, and my two daughters are I'm trying to comfort them, and they're, they're both weeping. And Judah's like four at the time, so he's just worried about the Pop-Tart that he dropped on the floor or something like that. But it was, it was an incredibly hard, almost emotionally crushing experience right in that moment. But I can remember we, as we got the kids and we walked out to the, the car, as we were getting the kids strapped in, getting back in our, our van, I, I heard my wife quietly say these words, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the middle of our grief, middle of deep sorrow, we had incredible hope. And you know why? Because our hope is not dead. Our hope is living. Our hope is not anchored in anything in this world. Our hope is in something greater than this world has to offer us. That's exactly what the apostle Peter is saying. In summary, he's saying, listen, our heavenly father has caused us to be born again into this living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus in the past. And he's guarding us for a heavenly inheritance that nobody can ever take away from you. And this living hope can actually, it's so powerful, this this living hope can actually give you joy in the middle of your suffering. Now church, that is 
that is a real hope. That is, that is a living hope. That, that is the kind of hope you can absolutely stake your life on. So here's the, here's the second truth that I, that I need you to see this morning. Number two, our hope is anchored in the past. It's guarded by God for us in the future, but it can also be experienced in the present. Now that's pretty cool, isn't it? Like that, that's a good deal. I'll take that deal. I want that kind of hope. Now notice what else Peter says starting in verse six. He says, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, Christian, God, God is doing something that you can't see right now in your suffering. A pastor named John Piper once said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. Peter is saying, just like gold is purified in the fire, Christians are pur purified in trials, suffering, and pain. So here's our next big truth this morning, believer. Number three, our suffering enables a deeper connection with God. Our suffering enables a deeper connection with God. Now listen, we would never choose suffering for ourselves, but it, it is almost always, almost without fail, out of those seasons of suffering that God refines and drives us deeper into his love and his power. Tim Keller puts it this way. This will be on the screen for you. Christianity teaches that contrary to Buddhism, suffering is real. That contrary to karma, suffering is often unfair. But contrary to secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 5. Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Exactly, almost verbatim what Peter says. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance Endurance produces character, and character produces what? Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And Peter shifts from that, and he begins to close this section of his letter in verse 10. Listen to this. Peter says, concerning this salvation, everything that we've just talked about, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, the Old Testament prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So Peter finishes this section of his letter by going, look, the, the Old Testament prophets, guys that prophesied about the coming Messiah, guys like Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these guys prophesied through the Holy Spirit in them about this coming Messiah, and they realized that they were never gonna get to see this mystery unfold in their life. They realized that they were never 
ever going to be able to see the gospel in its fullness that ultimately they were writing for a future generation that was gonna be able to experience it fully. They were writing for you. And not only that, Peter goes, the angels, <laughs> the angels, these incredible immortal beings that are, that are so brilliant, if you were to come across one or see one, you would either be tempted to bow down and worship it or, or fall down and die of fear. These, these same magnificent angelic beings, Peter says, they, they long, he uses the word for, for like peering through a window. They, they long to look into this salvation that's been given to people who place their faith in Jesus. So Peter, Peter's going, look, these, these angels, they, they look down and they see a sinful person regenerated, made new, given a new heart by the blood of Jesus, forgiven of their sin, made white, set free, adopted as sons or daughters of the God of this universe. And Peter goes, the angels, their, their jaws hit the floor. I can just imagine this conversation between angels in heaven as, as they witness someone, this miracle of someone seeing the gospel, seeing Jesus in all of his glory, submitting their life to him, being forgiven and cleansed, made new, made a son or daughter of the king of this universe. And I can just imagine the angels saying, hey, come here, did you see that? Hey, hey, come, come, come over here, Gabriel, come over here, Michael, look, look, do you see that sinner down there? Jesus just saved that dude. Jesus just saved that girl. You imagine the other angel be like, what? What, Jesus saved that sinner? I know, this is nuts. This is crazy. Can you believe this is happening? Man, they, they look, angels look at the gospel and they are absolutely stunned. And I think what Peter is saying here is that, listen, all those, all those Old Testament dudes that have books of the Bible named after them and even the angels, they would probably trade it all to get to experience the gospel the way that you and I do. Friend, have you, have you considered, have you, have you thought about the magnificence of your salvation lately? Have you thought about it? The miracle of your salvation. That, that you, that, that, that me, a, a, a sinner, a rebel against a, a perfect and a holy God, that that same God would, would come down to you when you had no way to get up to him, that he suffered and died to pay for your sin so that you could have a living hope now in this life and forever in eternity with him. Have you thought about that? Christian, how is it that we could ever grow numb to that story? How is it that we could ever grow numb to the best news in the world? Last, last truth I wanna give you, and then we're, we're gonna be done. Truth number four. Number four, Christian, never forget how unbelievable your salvation is. Never forget how unbelievable your salvation is. Follower of Jesus, we are the most privileged beings in the history of the universe. That's what Peter is saying. The Old Testament prophets, the angels, would trade everything to get to experience the gospel the way that you do. So believer, don't, don't, grow, don't grow numb to it. When you're, when you're suffering, remember your first love. Remember the God who plucked you out of darkness and adopted you into his family. Church, we, we just tend to be a forgetful people. And Peter is saying, listen, believer, never forget. Never forget the magnificence of your salvation. I wanna finish with a quote from G.K. Chesterton. This is what he says. It might be true that the sun rises regularly because 
he never gets tired of rising. His routine, his routine might be due not to a lifelessness, but to a rush of life. The thing I mean can be seen, for instance, in children, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit, fierce, and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. All the parents of young kids say amen right now, right? For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God, perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all the daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Believer, one day we will experience this living hope fully because we will be made new and young once again. One day we will see our inheritance face to face, but until that day, this living hope, you need to understand this, this living hope is something that we can experience again and again, afresh, new, each and every day that we open our eyes and breath fills our lungs. Though we suffer for a little while now, for a brief moment, we have a living hope. Beloved, our hope is not dead. Our hope is not dead, our hope is not uncertain. Our hope is very much alive and secured for us forever in Jesus. As we close this morning, let me just finish with a, with a challenge. For those of you who are with us who are not yet followers of Jesus, I just wanna ask you a very simple question. Where's your hope? If you're watching this and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, where, where's your hope? In John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, yet he shall live. Listen, friend, that's the kind of hope that you need, and God offers you that kind of hope today in Jesus. So if that's you, many of you have never begun a dynamic, life-changing relationship with Jesus where you exchange your sin for the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf and you begin to follow him in your life, I just wanna invite you to place your faith and your trust in him today. Friend, listen, surrender your life to him today. Find the hope that will last through any circumstance, any situation in your life. It's the hope that your heart longs for. Now listen, for those of you who are tuned in and you already know Jesus, you love Jesus, you're following Jesus, you already have this living hope, you have access to this living hope, here's, here's my challenge to you. I wanna challenge you over the course of the next couple of weeks to just make a, a two or three minute video, right? So, so no, nothing fancy, you can just use your cell phone just a couple of minutes and I want you to share how Jesus has given you hope in your life. We're calling this the Hope Challenge. This is a challenge that we're kind of issuing through this series through the first letter of Peter. Now, it could be, uh, could be the story of you uh, beginning your faith journey with Jesus, or it could be a story of how Jesus has given you hope in a specific situation or circumstance in your life. Let me just encourage you, shoot that two or three minute video and post it on social media with the hashtag, my hope story, okay? So just shoot a short little video, share how the hope of Jesus has transformed your life, and just put the hashtag, my hope story. Listen, 
we have a unique opportunity right now. The whole world is on hold. People are sitting at home for hours on end just scrolling through social media. So I just want to encourage you, let's, let's leverage that. Let's flood people's feed with stories of hope. Church family, would you, would you consider doing that this week? We're going to have some guidelines that we're going to begin sending out to you through our different channels beginning tomorrow and later on this week. But my hope is that you would take this challenge, that you would shoot a two or three minute video, post it to social media, because our hope is very much alive. Let me pray for us, then we'll sing. Father, uh, we, we bless your name. We worship you today as, as Peter did in 1 Peter, this letter so many years ago. With Peter, we proclaim, blessed be the name of our Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ today and forevermore. God, thank you for giving us a living hope through the resurrection of your son, Jesus. God, thank you that our inheritance is secure forever in heaven with you and for us, God. Thank you that this living hope, this hope that is living and breathing inside of us at this very moment can carry us through seasons of pain and suffering and exile, God. So would you help us right now, today, this week, live in this hope, stand in this hope? Would you help us thrive in this living hope? Would you help, help us share it with other people? God, for your fame in this city and around the world, and we ask all of these things in the name that gives us hope, the name of Jesus. Amen.